Hi, this is Greg Penny, and you're listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast with my buddies Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchert. It's the weekly music news for the new music business. Got Twitch? If you're a music artist looking to monetize, this new data says you should. Twitch's Rockonomics. Tipping is taking over the internet. Who needs an album? Just keep remaking the song. And the advice YouTube executive Tuma Basa wants to share with up-and-coming artists. We've got these stories. We've got a heck of a lot more. This is episode number 38 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Coffee. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, top of the morning, Jay. Very nice to see you in my little uh, iPod, iPad Pro here on my desk <laughs> as we have our convoluted recording system. I'm looking right at you. Good to see you. A lot Good of interesting too. things to talk about today. And I will admit, uh, you know, everything, anything to do with gaming, I just kind of tune out. I am just not a gamer. Ironically, I was a video games producer for a while. So as we talk about Twitch today, I certainly knew about Twitch. But man, I've been going deep since we since the the newsletter came out on Friday, and uh, yeah. really interesting stuff, fun it's stuff to legit, talk about. And it's music. It's you know, it's not just for breakfast anymore. And we will we will certainly <laughs> dig in. Um, before we thank our sponsors and kind of get in uh, get into it this week, I wanted to do a, a special little shout out. Um, sadly, uh, uh, producer engineer. Um, Al Schmidt passed away this last week, yeah. and if you don't know Al, I mean, he's had something like 23 or so Grammy wins and has worked with, you know, everyone, you know, Henry Mancini, Steely Dan, Ray Charles, Natalie Cole, Paul McCartney, George Benson, the list goes on and on and on, and he is just one of those icons in the music industry, and it was really sad to hear of his passing this oh, last week. Oh, I was week. so broken up. You know, he was 91 and, and working... I mean, literally working up till the very, very end. And mm-hmm. I, I got to work with him back in the day and on a number of projects. And 
you know, not only was he 91, so that that is a, a considerable age. Uh, he was super virile, super healthy, um, but he also stretched back abnormally far because he he had an uncle in New York who had a recording studio that he was working in as literally as a teenager. So you've got a guy whose whose time stretches from literally the big band era, recording direct to disc, amazing in the 40s. To wow. all the way up until last week or the week before last and working on contemporary projects. And, yeah. uh, you know, you just are not going to find a guy like that anymore. They just don't make them like that. And no. To stretch no, through. the end of an era. No. And uh, I was watching the, um, there's a great, uh, there's a lot of interviews with him. There's a wonderful documentary on Sam Cooke. Um, and uh, Al, was at, Al and his wife were actually out to dinner with Sam Cooke the night he was murdered. And, Sam, and, and Al produced all those Sam Cooke. Cook albums. And there's actually a great thing online where Steve Perry of Journey is talking about Al Schmidt. And of course, Steve Perry is a gigantic Sam Cooke fan. And he got to know Al uh, as, as in his later years and just said what a, what a just a wonderful person he was. But uh, yeah. a wonderful, wonderful guy, super, super talented. And just uh, again, they they don't make them like that. Nor no. will we ever see anybody like that who stretches no. so across generations. Sending our uh, you know our love and condolences to the family. His son Chris is a dear friend of mine, yeah. and we were actually doing a photo shoot uh, last Sunday, the day before Al passed away. And Al called him in the studio, and uh, you know it's it's really sad, and we're we're sorry to see you go, Al. Um, Thanks for all the great music. Absolutely. By the way, the chap that you're listening to, he's a curator of the Your Morning uh, Coffee newsletter, weekly music news for the new music business. Of course, a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment, and a handsome guy, to say the least. He is none other <laughs> than Jay Gilbert. And Mike is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal, and is a scratch golfer and is a uh, <laughs> member of Mentor right. of uh, martial arts. I don't That's know. right. That's right. <laughs> well, Jay, let's talk about, before we get jumping in, let's, let's talk about our sponsors. Yeah. So your morning coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built right in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days, just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com. Promo code Morning Coffee. And huge thanks to HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. 
And Bands in Town, over 55 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks, Bands in Town, Hypebot, and of course, Bandzoogle. Much appreciated. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, so we let have a lot of Twitch in. news today, Mike. Um, we do. The, the first piece I read, um, it was in Forbes. It was written by Kathy Applefeld Olson. Uh, and it, the headline is, Got Twitch? If you're a music artist looking to monetize, this new data says you should. And it was a really nice piece, but it really drove me into the research, and which was, uh, if you look in your morning coffee, it's the second headline. It's called Twitch's Rockonomics. Yeah. And it was written by Will Page, who, who I've been following for years. Will is the uh, former chief economist of Spotify. And also... Um, PRS for music, uh, PRS, if you don't know, is Performing Rights Society, uh, along with MCPS, Mechanical Copyright Protection Society. These are two separate collection uh, societies um, in the UK. Anyway, so he at PRS for music, he pioneered uh, rockonomics. So he published work on Radioheads in Rainbows and Saving BBC Music. Uh, at Spotify, he helped redefine catalog, uh, uncovering the anatomy of a hit and articulated the global value of music copyright. Um, this is his first book. It's called Tarzan Economics, Eight Principles in Pivoting Through Disruption, and it was just released. So his work has been featured in Billboard, The Economist, Financial Times, um, and so I knew this was going to be a very comprehensive look at Twitch. And on its surface, a lot of people think that Twitch is just kind of a, a platform for gamers. And maybe mm -hmm. it leans a little bit that way. But it is so much more. And I've had the pleasure of kind of digging in over the last year. One of my clients is doing pretty well on Twitch and growing a, an audience and think of it as kind of like your own TV show that you're broadcasting and they have all these different topics um, and you can not only watch these little mini TV shows, the quality is really good because mm -hmm. they're based on your laptop and not on mobile, which a lot of um, platforms are not. And that's a very interesting point to mention up front is this is very much of a in home for the lack of a better phrase sort of experience or or platform um and uh, you know to to what you know his his kind of and i've not read the book yet tarzan economics but it reminds me and the way he lays stuff out it's very similar to there was a book about gosh it might have been almost more than 10 years ago called freakonomics that was a super bestseller it was a wonderful yes. book and great it really, podcast too by the way i've oh, listened to it know. for years oh really yeah. okay so it reminds me of, and you know, I, I actually strangely have a degree in economics, barely, I will add. If you look at my GPA, I just, just got it. Um, but oh, you take that it, back. It's, it's a dry subject, you know, I mean, it is dry. And that Freakonomics book, and clearly, of course, their podcast, it really takes uh, economics and makes it interesting and, and it kind of, yeah. it's for the common man, very it much Makes so. it fun. It makes it fun, exactly. And so he, he, he approaches economics in a similar fashion. And this, the, the, the Twitch Rockonomics, 
it, it's almost like a textbook. And I mean, it's beautifully laid out. Just yeah. it's super. This gross. could be a book. This right? could be a book in itself. But it's I just want a beautiful, beautiful I'm, layout and design. Go ahead. Yeah, I want to, but I want to get back to your artist that you're working with. That is having a lot of success on Twitch. Um, was that a, was that just because they knew about it, or did they transfer? their fans over to Twitch. No, they're new developing. They're going from zero to 60. Okay. Uh, there, there are two Twitch channels that I highly recommend you check out. The, uh, the, as far as the music side, mm-hmm. I think they're doing a great job. One is a band called Finding Elysium. Yes. Um, and Finding Elysium is, uh, I mean, these are musicians on another level. Young, beautiful, talented but it's not just the music. They're like a screwball comedy. You know, they're, yeah. they're talking with each other. They're engaging with their audience. Um, and another artist that has, uh, you know, a much larger following because they've been around for a lot longer is Hallocene, mm-hmm. the band Hallocene. Yeah. Man, they are doing it well. The sound is good. Same with Finding Elysium. Uh, the visuals are good. The interacting with the crowd. You can, you can really monetize this channel, this platform. And we're going to get into that uh, in a moment. But it all comes back to this thing that we've talked about for years. Uh, Kevin Kelly wrote, um, if you can keep the full $100 of each true fan, then you need only a 1000 of them to earn $100,000 per year. And so it's, it's almost like the long tail that you and I yeah. talk about. There, this is true in some cases and not true in others. But especially today, when there's so much noise and so much clutter and so, you know, now the new number is 65,000 tracks uploaded every day to the DSPs. How do you rise above that noise? And in one of the pieces we're going to talk about, um, Tuma Basa goes into this a little bit deeper and we'll cover that in a minute. But if you can monetize your fan base, those hardcore fans and engage them, you can make some serious money. And that's what Twitch is so good at is, well, we'll get into some of the ways yeah. that they do it, but yeah. you can, it, it's funny. I was on uh, watching Finding Elysium the other night and one of their fans gifted me a subscription. Like the fans are, are back paying and forth each, with each other, other and right. helping each other. Yeah, it's right. it's really, really incredible. That's awesome. Well, and and I, again, we'll, we'll get further into it, but one of the artists in profile in the article does not, as I recall, even have anything up on any of the streaming services. So, so they're completely almost bypassing that arena, and they're just focusing on their super fans on Twitch, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and why are they doing that? You know, in the, in the article, um, Will points out, it's, you know, it's almost 20 years since 2002, you know, the launch of Rhapsody, which was one of the first, you know, like paid music uh, streaming services. You know, at the same time, the monthly fee, the cost, $9.99, is remained largely the same. Um, but he feels like these fans are disconnected from their favorite bands. None have any of the on-demand, uh, you know, well, they, they don't have a way that you can engage directly with the fan. And we're heading towards that where people are adding, you know, we have, we're, there's an article on tipping that we're going to cover and it's definitely moving in that direction. But with streaming, there's this disconnect, but with Twitch, man, you are, 
you're engaged directly. You're subscribing kind of like a Patreon in some ways. You're, you can subscribe to your favorite artists, but then you're engaging. You're talking with them. You're chatting with them. You're donating money. There are paid requests. And I saw one artist that it was hundreds of dollars per request because they were a bigger artist and they were getting dozens of these like, and then when you were accepted, they'd say, Oh, well, Mike Etchart is requesting this song. Hey, Mike, this one's for you. We're going to play this song for you. And uh, that's real engagement. Absolutely. By the way, a little off to the side, one of the great things about this article is he has, he's talking about subscription services at the beginning, but then he also shows a grid of the popular subscription streaming service combinations in yep, the US. on the video side yep. on the video side exactly so on the on if you can imagine on a on a vertical grid he's got he's got them all so Netflix Prime Video Hulu etc and then on a horizontal grid on top he also has the same ones but it's you can actually see so if 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 uh, if you go on the left if somebody has Prime Video, what's the percentage? And then you kind of bounce around and go, okay, of uh, who of uh, Prime Video, who also has Netflix, who, who or who also has Hulu, or who yeah. also has Disney Plus? And it's fascinating to see yeah. the connection between the video television services with each other. A yeah, and it's so different because on the audio side, I subscribe to you know. Uh, a dozen streaming services, but that's my job. Uh, right. That's part of my job. Most people don't, although I did read an article for your morning coffee this last week that said that that percentage is actually growing, that not as much as the video side, but there are people who are subscribing to more than one music subscription oh, service that's on the rise but it's still a very very small percentage you know and it's so in my household we do have two we have apple and spotify but it's different it's stratified in that i'm the only apple user in the family but the rest of everybody else is spotify users strangely enough i pay for both for everybody but that not being said um it's but i think that's maybe that's not as as unique as 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 it seems but um for it's it just yeah. in my experience it seems that the music subscriptions are very stable and once you're there you're in and you you know yes you can switch playlists and things like that but it's a bit of a headache so you know yeah. once you're in you're in whereas well but we're also seeing the kind of churn in the video side of things because mm -hmm. as so many more services come online it's like well how many can you actually have um yeah it's kind of nuts there's so many of them out there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's, it's again, fascinating to think about. The, and, and, and I'd forgotten, you had mentioned before these articles came out that, that uh, Finding Elysium was, you had mentioned in the past to me that, that they are very big on Twitch. And I kind of thought about it. I'm like, hmm, that's kind of weird. But, they, but I, again, I associate it with gaming. Yeah. Um, and that's a bit, of, clearly that's, that's not incorrect, but it's certainly much, much more. Yeah, you can find these uh, channels uh, for pretty much any interest that you have. And some of them are just so well produced and so well done. And what I love about it is the bands that I'm following, I'll get a little notification via email that says, hey, these guys are about to go live. And it's great. Yeah. And typically it's you know in the afternoon or evening where I can break away. And I'll just have it on while I'm cooking dinner or, you know, and listen to it because at least with the ones that I mentioned, Finding Elysium, Hallocene, and a few others, there's, it's not just them playing music. It's so much more than that. They tell stories in between yeah. and they banter with each other and they make fun of each other. And, 
uh, tell stories. It's it's really something unique and something cool that there's some comparisons that Will makes in this article uh, versus streaming, where streaming is more lean back. You're not as engaged. Mm-hmm. And uh, with with a service like this, this is really more like a Patreon where you subscribe right. to these, but you really get involved with them. He has another great chart. You know, yes. what makes music on Twitch distinct? Exactly. You know, he goes over user experience and, you know, money in, money out, which we'll talk about in a, in a moment. And he compares Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, and on-demand streaming. And when you see it laid out like this, yes, it's really powerful stuff. Absolutely. And again, this... It, getting talking about just the article in general it's it's almost like a textbook and these charts are so easy to read and it really like i said it really hits home you're like oh okay because you can read about it but when you see it kind of laid out in these wonderful charts and graphs you're like okay i get it and it's again you're talking about the user experience music licensing money in money out all of these things and they kind of just show the differences between twitch and and youtube tiktok on-demand streaming etc and it's really interesting but it's so easy to read so easy to kind of you you see the light bulbs going on as you're reading i know we say this once in a while mike but this is one of those articles i'm going to print out oh absolutely and and keep as reference absolutely you know he also talks about the twitch's long form we're so used to everything going to short form you know the the uh tiktoks of the world and even these little eight second spotify canvas uh videos and things twitch usage is primarily via the laptop and desktop rather than the mobile app uh base use that dominates nearly all other online experiences. Unlike most other services, Twitch is predominantly used for live streamed content. And despite conventional wisdom, holding that sweet spot for consumption is under 30 minutes. Typical Twitch usage is very long form. Yeah, greater than an hour, which is interesting. And then, and again, you know, music licensing. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but it's yeah. You know, basically, the primary source of content delivery is user created, first party, as they say, relative to third party for all of the other kind of services. So, it is pretty dramatically different when you when you look at it and. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I, I think if you're an artist manager or you're an artist yourself, especially when starting out, like finding Elysium, where you kind of grab it, because they do, he does reference uh, kind of moving from one to the other. And, and that mm-hmm. is a little, that's, that's kind of a heavy lift. It's certainly worth doing it. And it's, but it's not insignificant. And yeah. he kind of compares and contrasts other artists that have still both, you know, they're, they're in both worlds and, and the different numbers they have. But again, if, if when you look about in just in terms of pure monetization, um, Oh my gosh, you can make so much money. Yeah. They have this thing called uh, Twitch bits and you can buy these bits. You know, bits are virtual goods that you can use, you know, to donate to an artist or, you know, a creator. You can cheer for them in the chat messages that you use. And these bits are, you know, 100 bits is $1.40. 500 bits is $7. 1,500 bits is $19.95. 5,000 bits is $64.40. And, and so on. And they, they talk about money in, right? So most music streaming platforms have two possible revenue sources, advertising and subscription. Some merge both sources into the quote-unquote freemium uh, approach where the ad-funded tier acts as a funnel to drive conversion into the premium tier. 
Um, accordingly, any money-in model that strays from these two sources, as Twitch's does, presents a challenge to the music business and a learning curve for creators and consumers. To help bring some clarification, Twitch brings money in in three ways. Uh, the first one, creator channel subscriptions, right? Creators earn a share from subscriptions to their channel, which can cost $4.99, $9.99, $24.99. They also earn money when users gift subscriptions to friends, like happened to me, or activate their free Prime Gaming subscription. Number two, bits that we just talked about, allow users to support creators directly on the service. And I've seen this in action where um, a band will be playing a song and all of a sudden you see all these fans Mm -hmm. that are paying them basically with the, you know, it's almost like that tip jar. They're giving them these bits. And then, of course, the last part is creators earn from advertising on their channel and can determine the length and frequency of mid-roll advertisements through their dashboard. That's pretty cool. Yeah. One of the other, earlier in the article, and I meant to bring this up earlier, it's worth kind of talking about, though, is he's got a great graph on the weekly hours per weekly average user of Crazy. the different, of the different uh, um, uh, destinations. Platforms, yeah. Platforms, thank you. Yeah. So so uh, here you have TikTok. So the weekly hours per weekly average user with TikTok is a little under two hours a week. Uh, YouTube is a little under six hours per week. Spotify, a little over six, 6.4 hours per week. Twitch, weekly hours per weekly average user on Twitch is 15.8. <laughs> So That's you're talking nuts. almost three times more than Spotify. That's crazy. Yeah. So, so the people that are there, they are spending some time, and that of course speaks to the to the long form nature of of the content. But. That's pretty. When when you look at it like that, you're like, "Ooh, that is not insignificant. <laughs> that right. is very significant." So, so not only are they engaged, I mean, yeah. they are paying attention. They're communicating with their favorite artists. They're paying money directly to their artists, real money. Yeah, and they're on. 15 hours a week on average. That's yeah. that's nuts. Staggering. So we, we talked about money money in. Um, but he also goes into money out and he likes to compare, you know, Twitch with streaming and there isn't a ton of money in streaming unless you're hitting some astronomical numbers, but it comes back to that. All you need is a hundred fans. Yeah. Uh, thing that we talked about. He says, to date, the typical music streaming model has approached the money out question with a pro rata answer. And you and I talk about this mm-hmm. all the time, you know, pro rata versus user, user centric, right? So put simply, the platform aggregates all the streaming data and revenues from a specific market and product over a specific time period and then divides an artist's share by that sum and allocates revenues uh, you know, get 1% of all the streams, you get 1% of all the money. And and we talk a lot about user-centric, where if I just listen to Finding Elysium all month, they should get my $9.99. But there are a couple of articles that I read that say that that's not realistic. And he talks about it here a little bit. Um, let me see if I can find the, the part. Oh, here it is. He, he says that the ethics of my money, my music, which is the user-centric model, he says they're attractive, but the cost and complexity of its implementation linking millions of artists directly with hundreds of millions of consumers has made it unworkable to date. So, you know, a a platform like Twitch becomes even more attractive. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they also mentioned, which you don't think about necessarily, you and I know this because we've, we've, we've worked along, you know, 
when when you're when you're signed up with with any number of services, but especially when it comes to streaming, it takes a long time to get paid. You get paid basically quarterly, but those quarters are going backwards. So it's almost it's almost about six months before you're paid for a for a given time period, let's say. Uh, and they say with Twitch, it's not just a straight line between creator and consumer, but it's a fast line as well, yes. as he says. He says, Twitch raises the bar in terms of the speed by which the money gets out, committing to payment within 30 days after the month ends. Generated a significant amount of revenue in April. See it in your bank account by the end of May. Yeah. For conventional music streaming platforms, the, ta- the time lag artist experience is typically six to eight months. For songwriters, it's even worse. Uh, so that is another thing to think about is, you know, at a maximum, you're at eight weeks from, you know, if you, if you do something on April 1st, you're going to get paid at the end of May. The, the you know how the, the the shorter term of that is if you do something on April 30th you're getting paid on May 31st or whatever it is so you know anywhere between four to eight weeks boom you're paid that's super fast for the music yeah. industry we're not Absolutely. used to that quick of a turnaround with finances unless you're an employee of the music industry in which case you get paid every two weeks yeah that's right <laughs> but not uh, not as an artist unfortunately no and and we remind uh, our listeners every week that you know the streaming services um, they don't pay artists. They pay the rights holders. Yes. And there is going to be a delay. And he talks about those economics in here, too, you know, when you have multiple co-rights and things like that. Um, but there is that lag uh, of when the streaming services pay out to the rights holders and then the rights holders pay out to the artists based on their individual contracts. So these things can go on for months and months, as you just described. He said that now that we've established what Twitch is and isn't, you know, we need to go a step further and translate how its monetization works. Um, I love this part. He says it's tempting to compare Twitch to driving a taxi. If you ain't on the road or live streaming, the meter ain't moving. So there's some truth to the analogy, but it doesn't capture that once you establish a relationship, there's no longer a contractual rate. The longer and deeper the artist-fan relationship, the more generous the fan and likelier they will pay extra to gain status within the community. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I believe that um, today fans want recognition. Yeah. Um, and that's why OnlyFans and Thrills.co UK and Cameo, some of these things are so important to them. And when you're watching a live stream, and I've had this happen with some of my artists, it's it's a really nice feeling when they say, hey, you know, Mike Etchart's here. Hey, Mike, thanks for joining, you know, or give you a thumbs up or something. It's kind of like when you're at a show and from the crowd, they're like, oh, I see Mike's here today, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. It, it's kind of cool. And fans now are paying good money for that recognition. Right. And it... it, it it's interesting to see again, you know, of course, we're relatively old guys with, you know, seeing it now and seeing it before. But if you're coming up now as a music fan and, and this is just this is the normal. I love that concept that people coming to, let's say, a, a fan now of Finding Elysium, they, they just discover them with this scenario, basically, where, where you can <laughs> yeah. you can participate and know them and 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 learn all kinds of things and contribute yes. to them. And it's it's wonderful for the economics of music it, for those fans that are coming up just right now. And they, this is just the only way that they know it exists. Yeah. And so moving forward, I hope that this is 
this is a way for for artists to be mon- to get monetized to to control the monetization in yes. a way that they have not been able to before. Yeah, which it's, is it's it's really really, really exciting. exciting to see this evolve and to see what people are doing with it. I highly encourage everybody to go on Twitch and just kind of search through there at, at some of the different uh, artists, gamers, people. Um, there are podcasts. There are. Oh my gosh, everything you can think of uh, is on there and there's something for everyone. And, and in, as you in, yeah. further in the article which we're not probably going to get into but but they actually talk to a certain to a, a number of different artists and talk about kind of their situation, their scenario and how they got to where they are with Twitch. And it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Again, it's, there's, a, there's an artist on there who doesn't even have her music up on, on any of the streaming yeah. services. So she is just focusing on this solely. Uh, actually, she's out of, out of L.A., Serrata, who I'm not familiar with. But um, interesting, really interesting article. And, man, it's a must-read for everybody. And it's, like I said, it's like a textbook. It's so beautifully written, so beautifully laid out. It's yeah. gorgeous. I mean, it's, yeah. I can't imagine how much time it took Will to put this thing together. Good Lord. And, and let's give him a little plug. He's got a new book out called yeah. Tarzan Economics. I just ordered it. Um, I haven't read it yet. We'll, we'll touch base later when we've had a chance to look at it. But Will Page... Uh, wow. Uh, absolutely amazing news this week and information on Twitch in your morning coffee. Absolutely. Uh, next article, uh, talking about tipping. Tipping is taking over the Internet. This is on yeah. Axios. Uh, Sarah Fisher and Hope King put this together. Um, you know, a couple of things that I didn't really realize. I mean, obviously, we know what tipping is. But there is a, what I, as I read this article, I realized there is... There's a big pushback in just in the real, you know, in in the world at general uh, to get rid of tipping and the the inequality, the inequities they say of real world tipping, um, which I've not was really familiar with to be honest. So that's kind of part of the article and something to yeah. consider, I suppose, moving for excuse me, moving forward. Um, yeah. But you know, again, this is kind of like we were talking about. You know, you if you're coming up now, you just understand that you can. There's a way in most cases to tip the artists that you're fans of. Yeah. And yeah. Remember, really you and I were covering that story on Tencent. Yes. And we learned that like only a little over a third of their revenue was coming from music streaming. Exactly. The rest was from other sources, including tipping, and and we're talking about digital tipping. So, and yeah. that differs fundamentally from tipping in the real world, as they point out. You know, services like bartending, taxis, that sort of thing, because digital tipping often accounts for the entire livelihood yes. of some online creators. And you've seen this, you know, Spotify added it. Um, you've seen this, you know, they go through and talk about, you know, Twitter and Clubhouse and Facebook and Instagram. And it's becoming more of a thing. And I think to tie back to our discussion about Twitch, a lot of that is tipping. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, OnlyFans, uh, Twitch and Caffeine, um, lots of these things are, again, built around that tipping. And uh, they say, apparently SoundCloud is planning to introduce a direct payments between fans and artists through its platform. And, uh, of course, back, we talked this about this back in uh, Spotify in August, rolled out a new feature mm-hmm. to do that directly as well. And, again, this yeah. is just kind of, uh, you know, it's it's another way of reaching out and supporting your the folks that you listen to and love. Right. And doesn't it fit perfectly in this era where streaming payouts are low, 
Mm-hmm. They don't go to the artist. They go to the rights holder. And by yeah. the time it whittles down, there's not a lot of revenue there. And yes, I've heard the argument that a stream isn't worth a download. A download isn't worth, mm-hmm. you know, a CD and so on. But if we can put live streaming, things like Twitch, things like live streaming where there's, a, you know, a tip jar and then tips in just like Tencent, if it's in Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, you know, Cobuzz, how great is that that these these artists can receive more revenue? Uh, I think it's a great thing. I'm not saying that it's okay for streaming to pay low rates, and you and I have been talking about this a lot and will continue to as that area evolves, but anything that gives songwriters, performers a little more revenue, man... Uh, that's great news. But, you know, and, and it was it one of the interesting points in uh, Will's article, going backwards for a minute on the Twitch's Rockonomics, uh, <laughs> Will mentioned that, you know, the, those early streaming companies, they were also charging nine ninety eight, And that was almost 20 years ago. And we're still at nine ninety eight. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've just been shocked at how everything has gone up lately in, yeah. during the pandemic, gasoline and... groceries. I need a new roof on my house. And the guy was telling me that the price of lumber has tripled in the last year. The price of steel has tripled in the last year. And yet we're still enjoying very much of value an incredibly low amount really for essentially the listening to the unlimited access to almost every song ever recorded. Yeah. And you're right. It's at 999. It's been that way forever, but now Spotify is changing that. I, I, I think it was 12 markets um, that they're now um, testing uh, uh, an increase in pricing. And honestly, I I think it's time. Um, I think there's such a great value to a subscription where you can basically listen to 70 million, you know, tracks. It's anything that you could possibly think of. I think that's worth more than 9.99. And I get why it was inexpensive to begin with because of adoption Mm -hmm. and not everybody was there. Well, now it's a, it's a big chunk of the music business. It's the majority of the music business. And there is all this pushback that uh, people are not being paid enough or they don't believe that it's, it's fair. Well, this is one way to, to uh, help that problem. Right. And nobody wants to be the first or it's been member of the old album days. In fact, there's a big, if you'll recall, is I, it was Tom Petty, I think, when Tom he was Petty. still on MCA. I was there. Yeah. Oh, you were there. That's right. So they raised, what was the price? It was, it was, going, it was going from 998 to, to higher, 998 to 998 from 798. Yeah, eight? I believe so. It was for yeah. the album. It was, um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, was it's it Damn the Torpedoes? Uh, no. Um, it's, um, gosh. I wish I would have had this in front of me. There's a really great book by Steve Knopper called Appetite for Self-Destruction. Yes. And if you haven't read it, it's my favorite book on the music industry. It is so good. I rarely read a book twice. And yes. I was just listening to the audio book the other day oh, just to okay. refresh myself on some yeah. of that stuff. But he goes into how Tom Petty just went, uh, was it Southern Accent? Oh, I, I wish I had it in front of me. Anyway, um, but yeah, he stood his ground. Because, right. And then Russ Solomon from Tower was saying in that same book that CDs kind of did the same thing. They started off, you know, at, uh, you know, I think it was like thirteen ninety eight. Then every year they went up like a dollar. And then, you know, by the time uh, CDs were peaking, it was like eighteen ninety eight. list was the common uh, list price for CDs. Right. 
So it got a little nutty, but uh, but nobody but wants digress. to be the first to raise the raise the prices. But once somebody <laughs> does, everybody falls in line. So when Spotify does come, and I, I'm sure one of the markets is the U.S. When they raise yes. their rates, it'll be a hot minute before Apple and and et all follow. Along yeah. Well, I wonder, you know, I, and thank you for landing that plane. I do think that it's really important to, you know, for somebody to step in there, right? Yeah. And, and do it. Yeah. But Spotify, music is their core business. Mm-hmm. If you look at Apple, that's, music is not their core business. Same with Amazon, yeah. same with Google. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a challenge. I think those standalone DSPs like Spotify, um, they may have to lead the charge here. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But I do think that that was one of the things that we could do to fix streaming. We talked about last week, the article about fixing streaming mm-hmm. and raising the prices was one of the key things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump over to the New York Times article, which is really interesting. Uh, who needs an album? Just keep remaking that song. Uh, and this is really about remixes and how you know, certain songs kind of have this additional life. Now, by the way, this is this is not exactly new stuff, but it's being taken to um, extremes. Extremes, exactly. <laughs> they, they. This is by John uh, Karamanika, I think is the way. Oops, I think the way he pronounces his name. Uh, they talk about uh, this this Florida rapper, Spotem Gotem. And he's got a song called Beatbox. And that came out, I guess, last summer. He's got Beatbox 2 now coming. So what's interesting about this is they're not calling it, you know, Beatbox and then in parentheses, Remix by so-and-so. They're, they just got the numbers. Beatbox, Beatbox 2. He, uh, he's got Beatbox 3 and Beatbox 4. And then last Friday, he came out with Beatbox 5. All remixes. But he's just, you know, adding a number to them. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, again, it's it's a... Versions of this have existed for a very long time. However, not to this extent. And and here again, you got a song that's been around for a couple of years yeah. because they can just keep infusing new things into it. And, you know, this benefits an artist just on the monetary side as well because, you know, listen, we talk about the content owners and the people that have giant catalogs. Well, here is a way to expand your own personal catalog and have so many different versions of the song in the marketplace. Yeah. And they're making videos for the different versions and different, you know, remixed and featuring different people. So Yeah. And um, that's a key point. What you just mentioned, they're extending the life of this single. And when something's let's say blowing up on TikTok, you want to ride that wave. Yes. You want and that that popularity can continue sometimes for up to a year or more. And so by releasing different versions of that track in all these different ways, you can continue that popularity. And look, it's a singles-based music industry. Um, it's an always-on music industry. Mm-hmm. So you need to continue to release music in the marketplace. I love the example they use for Lil Nas X. And we've talked about that so much lately. That that Montero track is just a monster. Yeah. But I'm just looking at all the different versions they list here. You know, Satan's extended version, you know. Um, <laughs> but Lil, Lil Nas X is silent the entire time version. And all sounds with his mouth version. And it goes on and on and on. Yeah. But I think you you nailed it with the different assets that you can do surrounding these different versions. you When you drop them in the marketplace, it gives you something to talk about 
on socials and on TikTok and on Twitch and all, and all these other things. It, it, it extends that conversation, but you're also creating more videos. And when we did the Justin Bieber breakdown, we talked about the importance of all those different yes. videos. This is that on steroids. Absolutely. And look, this isn't going to work for some, you know, potentially some new developing artist that doesn't have a base yet. Yeah. But as you begin to grow your fan base um, and you have something that they like, there's nothing wrong with continuing that relationship and that engagement by all of these different, uh, we'll use the term remix for lack of a better term. Yeah, but you know, and and because you know, we talk a lot about technology and how how it's changed the the music production, and you know, what's great about the, the way it, how easy it is now to do this stuff. It's like you're literally just sending the files over Dropbox, and so another person is taking him, popping him into his computer. And then they're adding their thing or doing yeah. whatever. I mean, it's relatively easy to do and relatively inexpensive to do, you know, and it's, yeah. it didn't used to be like that. You know, you'd no. have to ship tapes around and pay for studio you needed, time. You needed an experienced pro back then. Yes. Whereas now the artists that I work with had become so savvy with like, I don't know if you saw the, the Billie Eilish documentary, but there's a really cool part in it. She was a huge Justin Bieber fan. Long story short, um, Justin reached out to her and wanted to do uh, a version of Bad Guy. Uh-huh. So they they couldn't get in the studio together, their schedules. She basically got him the files, and he did his part, Stand and back. that was the Bieber version. And yeah. that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah, exactly. So, so the technology can support something like this relatively easy. Um, and so why not? You know, if, if, if it's a hit, why not keep, keep it extending that hit cycle as long yeah. as you can? Ride it out, baby. Yep. So. Yeah. All right. And our last story, Jay, uh, out of OK Player, the advice YouTube executive Tuma Basa wants to share with up and coming artists. And again, another interesting article and, uh, you know, talking about what's what is exploding on YouTube just genre wise. Uh, yeah. I was kind of taken back by that, which is interesting how how. Uh, how rap is really taken over the 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 the, the in terms of, of who's who's watching what on there. It's all rap when you look at the yeah. top ten yeah. artists without a exactly. doubt. Exactly. Yeah. And for those that don't know, I'm uh, Tuma Basa, When he was at uh, Spotify, you know, he he created Rap Caviar, yes. which is one of the most popular playlists ever. Right. And the fact that he's at YouTube now. Remember. Uh, YouTube is the number one streaming service for music, not just watching. And it's not only is it the number one streaming service for music, it's also the number two search engine next to Google. Right. It's a beast. It is. And music on YouTube is so important. And there has to be a strategy surrounding that and a release cadence. But what I love about this piece is, yes, he points out that rap is a, a beast on YouTube and you need to, you know, go to where the party is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting. There was one part that I thought was, I don't know, I'll, I'll read it to you and you can tell me what you think. The, the question was, what is the feedback that you've heard from artists about YouTube? Positive, obviously, but also some critiques. And he said the positives it's always there. YouTube has been around long enough that we feel like it's always going to be there. It's permanent. It's a fixture. It's in the culture. And he said, a critique of YouTube that I've heard from artists, I don't know, to be honest with you, I'm not going to lie. I can't think of any. Right. Uh, okay. Well, we all know that there's a huge complaint critique about YouTube and music and that's super low 
payouts. Yes. But, you know, Lior Cohen is over there now. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Tuma Boss over there. I mean, they've got some very smart people who are not only trying to help reshape YouTube, but also the relationship between the artists, managers, labels, mm-hmm. and YouTube. And I think that's where yeah. they really need some help. Absolutely. Absolutely. But boy, you talk about, like you said, it's, it's, and, and I know this in my own world. I am, you know, when I'm at the gym, I'm just, you know, I have a playlist on YouTube and it's sometimes it's live versions, sometimes just performances that are live. And it's like, I'm on YouTube just because of my going to the gym more yeah. than almost any other streaming service. Yeah. Um, and you just hit something really important. You can find stuff on YouTube that's not available anywhere yes. else. Now, SoundCloud has, you know, I think it's like 250 million tracks and everybody else has 70 million. But I don't know what YouTube has, and it's got to be more than that. And I know that if I'm looking for a live version, an outtake, a B-side, a performance on Multitrack. some television. Yeah, stems, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Man, you can find anything yeah. uh, on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all there. But... You know, I do. I it, it's my my enthusiasm is always tempered by the notion that people just aren't getting paid for that, and so that is something that does need to change. But yeah, but yeah. but it's it's fat. You know, it's it is, and I'm always floored at how much stuff is up there. And again, it's. I mean, I I love to hear live versions. If it's a song that I've heard, I want to go back and see a different, you know, from a different show or whatever. And it's. Oh boy, you can, you can, yeah. that is a rabbit hole that is hard. Oh my to get gosh, out of. that is the rabbit hole of rabbit, rabbit holes. holes. You know, really, so there was really one is. part in here that really jumped out at me, and that was a question uh, that was asked Do you think it's easier or harder yes. to be a successful rapper now compared to when you started in your career? And Tuma says, Harder. There's no barrier to entry. I can call myself a rapper, and I'm a rapper. It's harder now, way harder, way, way harder. Yeah. And that and that makes sense uh, because, you know, this plays back to that the 65,000 tracks of being uploaded to Spotify every day. You know, there's just so many people that the, the, there is no barrier to entry, uh, which means that the floodgates are open. And how do you get heard above those 65,000 tracks a day? It's yeah. really, really hard, really hard. But he also mentions he's fascinated by NFTs, these non fungible Tokens. tokens. Yeah. If I make a song and I think it is really well done, I don't have to think about the commercial viability. Like, will this reach a million people? Will I get a million streams or whatever? I just need to, that one person who also sees that value mm-hmm. monetary. It comes back to that hundred fans thing that we That's talked about. Right. That's right. Now it's I think still hard. You you know to get to a point where NFTs make sense for you. That that's a that's a pretty heavy lift, but. It, things are changing, and and that's he he's got he's keeping an eye on that as well. So. We'll see where that goes as we move forward. And on that note, Jay, we need to wrap up episode number 38. May I just say thank you to Banzoogle, to Hypebot, to Bands in Town. Boy, we sure appreciate it. We really, really do. Thank you so much. And don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't. If you're listening to the show, you probably have subscribed. You can go to yourmorning.coffee to subscribe to the newsletter. The best thing I get in my email box at the insane hour of four in the morning uh, (laughs) every Friday. (laughs) I, I know Jay is up. Pushing the send button. Yeah, for the last seven years, 4 a.m. on Fridays. I'm an early riser anyway, but I loved to... You'd be surprised at what hits on Friday mornings. Um, I I usually have your morning coffee. Yeah, Yeah. I usually have it wrapped up Thursday night. Mm -hmm. But 
every Friday morning, I find some little nugget that came in late that, that I add to it. So thank you for that. Yeah, go to yourmorning.coffee and subscribe uh, to the podcast, to the newsletter. Send us uh, your thoughts. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And by the way, that is the reason to subscribe to the newsletter, because we know you're not up at four in the morning, but Jay is up, and he's looking <laughs> for articles for you. So yeah, just, just, just for that for reason. Team. Take one for the team, exactly. So all right. Thank you, Jay Gilbert, and thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next week with episode number 39 on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.